politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, and our property, and to navigate you through this Fourth Reich, which they call the Fourth Industrial Revolution. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here, excited to begin a new week, August 15th. And folks, we are growing by leaps and bounds. The quickest or fastest growing show uh, on the iTunes list for, for news podcasts. We're really surging to the top. I'm so thankful for you guys for tuning in, for giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, we have a really hopping and popping Telegram channel, C19 Truth Bombs. Uh, you will see, even though it doesn't have my name on it, that is my channel. And we have a lot of great commenters there, so you can interact and find other patriots. Uh, this is a good time. It is a good time. People are starving, starving for the truth. But we have to make sure, as always, it doesn't get jujitsued into that black hole. Romeo Lima on Twitter puts out, what is the difference between Pfizer and Kyle Rittenhouse? Well, he says, Rittenhouse's three shots actually worked. So, <laughs> it's a great joke, but in all seriousness, we can't just laugh at them. We must destroy them. The worst thing we could do is laugh them off. Oh, you see, CDC is floundering. They're uh, reneging on their, or backing off of their policies. They don't know what to do. Their stuff isn't working, and they're running away from it. Ha, ha, ha. No, no. We need a Nuremberg trial, a reaffirmation of the Nuremberg Code, a full understanding of where the virus came from. We can't let this go because they're not done with it. The, the biggest lesson I could give over to you guys is that the few times that we enjoy God's providence when he gives us an opportunity, a teachable moment where the public seems to get it. They seem to understand, whoa, these guys really stepped in it. They did something really horrific. We don't press our advantage. And when you are on our side of things, meaning you don't have control of anything, you're really the underdog. You cannot afford not to capitalize and press your advantage. It's kind of like the Confederacy uh, after the first battle of Manassas. They couldn't afford not to follow up on that and do a kill shot. Stonewall Jackson wanted to come in, march in, and take Washington. And in retrospect, that probably would have been the only way for them to have won the war. Again, I'm not cheering on saying it would have been better had they won the war. I'm just speaking strategically, using that as a metaphor. Um, this is our kind of Manassas moment where, on the one hand, we have a reprieve. People see the problems. But on the other hand, they're not done yet, and they will come back and destroy us if we don't reaffirm the Nuremberg Code, punish those who did this. End and criminalize all masking, all vaccine mandates, all emergency powers, repeal immunity, repeal the PrEP Act. Because again, these emergency powers will be used for other viruses as well as other things. Climate change and this stuff, they are not done. They are just beginning. And that is what we have to confront. 
And the first thing is to teach people the severity of what is going on. It's not just that their stupid shots didn't work. You know, today, Borla, Pfizer's own CEO, announced he had four shots, but he got COVID. No. It is that it has caused a mind-blowing level of injury that we're going to get into today, some of those numbers. And also, I just want to make sure I have time at the end today, at least briefly. There are two big stories that I was either involved in or wrote about very extensively a number of years ago that have come to life again. And it's, again, part of this theme of not following up. We allow things to slide. And if we don't root it out and rip it up and use it as a teachable moment, the cancer comes back again. And remember, the, the, the funny irony about CDC's new guidelines It's not even that they're giving up on this iteration. The things CDC gave up on, people weren't really following anyway, in a broad sense, for for the broad population. Meaning nothing really changed. If you look carefully, nothing changed. They didn't give up on their masking guidelines. And indeed, you know, I got an email from someone at Lockheed Martin. Uh, They're going back to to masking. Um, You have Philadelphia preschoolers will be masked now through June 2023, two years after they relinquished it on on adults. So it's not even over. It's not even like they're saying, oh, so therefore the military mandate's over. The CMS healthcare mandate is over. Now, lawyers for the plaintiffs in those cases might use this and say, look, this is crazy. But it's not like they're, they're giving that up. So nothing really changed late last week when CDC, uh, you know, so-called changed their guidelines. What I would argue is it's a rope-a-dope strategy to get us to back down and forget about this. Ah, we're reprieved. It's over with. Maybe laugh at them a little bit on the way out and then allow this to fester. It is not over with. We are still trying to actualize the degree of vaccine injury. We need autopsies. We need compensation. We need uh, repeal of immunity. We need Nuremberg trials. We need reaffirmation of the Nuremberg Code. That's the point. It's not just a stupid policy, didn't work. Okay, we move on to the next thing. Everything that is going on with climate, food, fuel, Ukraine... And the FBI, their unfettered power, it all comes from the Great Reset. What do I mean by the fact that this is a very critical moment, that on the one hand, we have a reprieve where I think people, at least in this country, the majority, get the insanity. But on the other hand, if you don't press that advantage, if you don't strike while the iron's hot now, one day we won't be able to strike back. To bring this point out, I want to play the latest clip from Klaus Schwab. Take a listen to this two-minute video about him framing exactly where we are today. Now, when we look at COVID, I think we should um, distinguish between three phases. We have three R's. Restrain, which means to fight the virus, the hot phase most countries are in today. Then we have recover, to go back to a kind of new normal. And finally, the reset, 
which means to define and to design the strategies um, which uh, should lead us uh, in the after-corona phase. Um, what is the objective? What kind of world do we want to build? What do we know? What did we learn? I think the world um, which uh, we want to create with the Great Reset has to be much more resilient. It has to be because security people will demand for more security. Um, physical security, health security, it will have to be more inclusive. Uh, we had already a big gap um, before the crisis started. This gap will be tremendously increased. So if we want to avoid uh, some kind of uh, social revolutions, and we have seen uh, the signs of anger on the streets uh, already the last weeks, um, so we have to address um, this issue to create a stronger inclusiveness. And finally, um, more sustainable, because um, uh, we know now uh, that um, the next crisis is already waiting for us around the corner, and it is the climate crisis. Uh Look, folks, I, I want to take him seriously, because he seemed to be prepared from day one, knew this was going to happen, had a book written, The Great Reset. And what that clip tells you is that we are correct. That now is the time. That's why we're putting out the book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial so that it never happens again. Literally every word of that subtitle is where we are today. Notice what he says. The three R's. Restrain, recover, and reset. So the first you know, was the lockdown and that stuff. And then recovery, he said, to a new normal, meaning where you're, you're out of a lockdown, but you have all these insane things, dystopian masking and mandates. And then now, okay, they're done that stage. But now is time for the Great Reset. How to use all of that legal, social, psychological, and technological change that they induced to create this permanent, permanent dystopia, which we could never even imagine how far these bastards plan on taking it. And then he talked about avoiding the anger, addressing that issue, that there's a lot of protests taking place. That's where the FBI comes in, but it all comes from this great reset. So again, go to trialsandexecution.com, order our book, pre-order it, but also download for free our opening chapter because it, it gives over what we face and what has happened to us so that it never happens again. I'm telling you, this is where it's at. And he, and he said very clearly, climate change is his next target. We have not criminalized in most states any of this. Okay, so this is really where we need to head in the coming days. Now, our sponsor today is our friends at Patriot Academy. Okay, I know a lot of you are like, I love the Second Amendment. But do you actually know how to properly carry a weapon, draw from it, and win a gunfight in a defensive situation? Very few, few people do. But I'm here to tell you we have the most instructive and really funnest course out there. 
So it takes place four-day defensive handgun training. We, uh, we're out on the range all day. We study the Constitution at night. It's at the NRA Whittington Center in Colfax County, New Mexico. Beautiful country. We have two new dates for our, our, our next training, courtesy of Rick Green of Patriot Academy, September 25th to 29th and October 2nd to October 6th. Again, at the Whittington Center. It is amazing. You will learn the five-point draw from the holster. Um, you'll also study the Constitution at night and increase your handgun skills, marksmanship, safety awareness, how to clear malfunctions. It is so much fun. And most of all, you'll have the camaraderie of meeting with so many patriots in this audience as well as others. Now, this is a smaller venue, so spots are limited. Make sure to register today. Find out all of the logistics information there. Let me know if you, if you have questions. PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. That's PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel. And if you do have questions just about the arrangements, where to stay, uh, email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. So, folks, this is not, again, it's not over with even the current iteration. And they're telling you, Schwab spells out exactly what he plans to do. And I see exactly what they're doing. This is all Europa-dope. That they want us to laugh it off and walk away. No. We shouldn't be laughing. We should be angry. And yes, I do want to get you guys angry. Listen to this. See, this is the point. It's not just, yeah, whoops, it was kind of stupid. This is going to illustrate this, yes, is a Nuremberg level of genocide that requires a Nuremberg level punishment and policy and legal response. And even more because the first Nuremberg Code evidently failed to stop this. That's what I want to get you guys mad over this. Remember, they have in a couple weeks, they have a variant update shot coming out. The UK actually preemptively approved it. Then they're going to have RSV, the flu shots. All of this stuff is bad. You know, it's funny, what's his name, That who's that Pfizer whore? Scott Gottlieb. He was recently on TV saying, you know, these, these politicians, when they get up there telling people not to get the shots, they, you know, they have to be careful because they're going to wind up convincing people not to get any shots. Whoa. So first off, that's an interesting admission that the COVID shots are bad. He's like, oh, don't, don't let that rub off on the other shots. Oh, okay. That's an interesting admission. So basically, you admit you are preaching genocide for two years, that the COVID shots are bad. But no. We're going to learn from the science behind this that we learned about immunology, and we need to audit the pertussis shot, the flu shots. Nobody should be getting a flu shot. It's negative effective, immune imprinting. We need a complete audit. What is more important than something that affects every single child born is jabbed with 72 shots and we have no understanding of the synergistic problems, but we already know that there are some problems with some of them. That needs to be looked into. And then they have 14, 15 more mRNAs coming down the pipeline. They're always very smart to go up to the line. They know where that pressure in the balloon is going to pop. They knew it on the phase one. Okay, the restraint. They knew, remember... They were going to start this new normal, and I was like, no, I want the lockdown to go on another two weeks. I said, I'd rather it go past the line where people rebel, so then we open up normally, rather than doing what we wound up doing the last two years. 
So I think we're in the same thing from phase two to phase three, from recover to reset. If you allow them, you know, just to kind of run away from this on their own terms and not pursue their retreat so they don't have a chance to reload and reset, we're going to be really regretting this. That is my biggest warning, and that is why we are writing this book with this title, with this message, with this marching plan. First, you have to understand the severity of what they've done. And then certainly you'll understand why we need to you know, do these 10, 15 policy and legal things. So one of the big pieces of news in terms of really quantifying the scope and magnitude of, of injury is more data came out from this in German insurance company, Techniker Krankenkass, TK, let's just call it, TK. It's the largest German insurer. They cover about 11 million people on their rolls. So it's kind of like United Health here in America. That's what TK is. Very big um, company. They have new data that came out based on an email request I have in front of me, the the spreadsheet. And basically, they have four billing codes. They're called ICD codes. And you could tabulate for the year 2021 how many of those codes were filed, billing codes. Those four codes are for vaccine injury. There are various forms of vaccine injury. In the preceding two years, 2019-2020, if you would tally all these codes, you had 13,777 in 2019 and slightly more 15,044 in 2020. Comes 2021, and that number is 437,593. So basically a 30-fold increase in medical billing for vaccine injury. And by the way, you could tell they break it down by quarter. There's quarter one, two, three, and four. Quarter one didn't really have anything abnormal. It started in quarter two. And that's because, as we've talked about before, in America, we kind of we really started in January. The UK did as well, and Israel started even a few weeks earlier. But continental Europe, they didn't have the same amount of money, and Pfizer was ripping them off. So they actually held out a little bit, and they didn't really start Eventually, they purchased from him, but it started a couple months later, so it wasn't until quarter two. So it lines up perfectly with the timing of the take-up of the vaccine. But, you know, these numbers, okay, well, big increase, but you say, well, you know, we had a big increase in uh, shots. Here's the number that really matters to put this in perspective. 437,593 people filed claims with insurance through their doctors for vaccine, some form of treatment. That doesn't necessarily mean it's high level, but it means it was at least clinical enough. It was a clinical level that they sought at least a doctor. There's doctor, there's urgent care, there's hospital, there's death. There's different levels. Um, But this was more than just presumably you have a sore arm, maybe some low-grade fever, maybe feeling a little bit weak in melees for a day, which an appalling amount of people obviously felt that. No, this is, they actually sought out a doctor. Now remember we said 11 million people are insured. Yet in one year, 
it was 437,000 filed for under the ICD codes of vaccine injury. That is one in 23 people. In other words, that is 4.3%. That's a 4.3% rate of at least some clinical level vaccine injury. Remember we talked about the fact that it's probably, you know, like, you know, 0.2% died, probably between 1% and 2% had very serious long-term debilitating, life-threatening injuries. And now this gives us a number of a kind of a, a sphere around that. How many had serious, it's not like serious, serious, but serious enough to have sought a doctor and to have scheduled an appointment that at least the diagnostic, the treatment, the appointment would have been filed under a billing code, ICD code of vaccine injury, one in 23 or 4.3%. Now, um, it's actually really even higher than that. Okay, this is the Daily Skeptic, I should say, is the one that uh, I want to give them credit. They're the ones who brought this to light. I'm not sure who had the original email, um, but they found it. So Daily Skeptic has a good article on this, and they, they say it's one in 23, but it's actually more than that. Because it's 1 in 23, it's 4.3% of all of their patient load, or whatever you want to call it, you know, on, on uh, TK's insurance coverage. Now, even though the rate of vaccination in Germany was very high, it wasn't 100%. Okay? It was actually 78%. Now, most of the people that weren't part of the 78% were kids, you know, because almost every adult got it. But, you know, kids are part of coverage as well. So I think it's fair to put them in evenly. So if you would actually, now we don't know the rate of vaccination among TK's uh, patient load, but presumably there's no reason to think it would be sharply different from the background rate of vaccination in Germany. So if you actually take 78%, if you do the math, and then take 437,000 of that, so then the vaccine injury is more like 5.1%. So I think that's actually more accurate, but okay, let's go with the 4.3. Let's go with just 4.3. Let's go with the lower number. <clears throat> and again, that would assume that every single person there was vaccinated, so it enlarges the denominator if you're following the math here. If you extrapolated a 4.3% clinical level injury rate for the United States population, we are told, at least told, that 223 million people were vaccinated in the U.S. with the COVID shots. Simple math, 4.3% would equal, equal 9.6 million people. Again, I've said in the past, I think several hundred thousand have died, but that number is going up every day. I think several million had debilitating injuries. 9.6 million, based on this extrapolation, if you would say it's the same as Germany, again, you can't say exactly the same. There's some confounders, but it's a pretty rough estimate. You would have about 9.6 million who had some degree of injury. You know, it could be after a week, it went away, whatever, <clears throat> but that they sought medical attention for it. I, I, I want you to allow your mind to run wild. 9.6 million people. And again, this is just basically a year to year and a half into it. Okay, this is the opening bid. We do not know what it does to you long term 
but it ain't good. What is so intellectually satisfying, although it's horrifying, about this number is it almost lines up perfectly with what we've cited many times from the Israeli Health Ministry survey. They surveyed a randomized, you know, like 2,000 people in Israel who got the booster shot, and they found a 4.5% rate of neurological side effects. The reason why I choose that data point is because, you know, obviously if you talk about fever or, you know, a little bit of a headache and malaise and weakness and injection site pain, yeah, that's going to be like a third of the people. Um, but but neurological side effects, that's already, whoa, 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 okay, that's something a little bit beyond. Um, it could be extremely serious, like Bell's palsy, which I forget, but it was an insane percentage. It was like almost 1% had Bell's palsy. It was like 0.7, um, if I remember the numbers correctly, but 4.5% rate. So that's almost a perfect lineup. And remember, that was just one dose. They, in other words, it wasn't a sample of Israel how many people in totality had neurological side effects. Out of the three, four shots that many got, it was from the third shot. It was a it was a survey of just the third shot. So again, likely that level in totality of clinical level injury is probably even more than four point five percent. But again, um, jiving almost perfectly, perfectly with the German data. Then I did something interesting. I said, "Hey, I'm going to take a look at the VAERS data." Okay, VAERS. At OpenVares, if you go to OpenVares, just Google it, and then look at their red box charts. They, they make it very easy to aggregate it. They update it every week. As of August 5th, okay, so very up to date. Now, you have to be careful because you have international reports to VAERS, like all over the world, and then they have the, just the ones emanating from the U.S. So I picked the much lower number. I clicked just on the U.S. ones, okay? And you have 13,972 deaths, 66,000 hospitalizations, 102,000 urgent care, 168,519 doctor office visits. So I figured I'm going to tally, I'm going to add up all of those numbers because that's clinical level and up. Anyone who saw it, you know, doctor urgent care hospitalization should be included in that because I wanted to try to compare America to Germany. We don't really have American insurance data or medical insurance data that I could see lines up because I wanted to kind of, you know, jive the numbers, see if our extrapolation is correct. So I figured, all right, I'll take theirs. Okay, and you get 337,579 reported to theirs. Okay. And I figured, I said to myself, okay, now we know a fraction of the things uh that happen are put into theirs, how much of an underreporting factor would get you to 9.6 million that the German data extrapolation would, would arrive at in the US? And I got, it only takes, if you do the math, an underreporting factor of roughly 28 would get you there. And Dr. Je Jessica Rose and Steve Kirsch, and they've written papers very detailed. They used independent rates of anaphylaxic events from confirmed from Massachusetts General study compared to theirs, and they came up with an underreporting factor as high as 41. If you remember, 41 is what they honed in on. So so I, I used that, and I was like, if anything, the 9.6 million is probably not overstating it because that would only be an underreporting factor of 28. And again, underreporting factor for death is likely not 
of 41. But we're not talking about that now. We're talking about just at least clinical level injury. From what I've seen from the data, an underreporting factor of 41 is very reasonable. But we'll go more conservative. 28 would get you 9.6 million. Again, I, I, I just if you understand the insanity, that's crazy. Now they list there these um, these vaccine codes, these ICD codes. So what I did is I went to one of my sources in the military. I said, "Hey, I know we can't get this publicly from the insurance companies, but I I do know I do have access to the DMED data. It's tampered with." But the DMED data, this is the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database of the military billing codes. So I asked someone who's on active duty who is in, um, you know, he's a medical official. So he has access to it. I said, could you pull these codes for me and do an analysis? Now, only he couldn't find a lot of them. They didn't come up. I don't know why. But there is one code we did get T50B95 adverse effect of other viral vaccine. And if you take the five-year average and then look at 2021, it turns out that the rate of increase is 11.6-fold in the military. It's right there. Now, now to be clear, you might say, well, the German data showed a 30-fold increase, but I think there's a couple of things you have to understand. First of all, this is just one code. We couldn't really get the other codes. Could have been a lot more. Also, remember the stigma against reporting is even worse in the military than in the civilian population. I, I mean, this is part of our book, by the way. We talk a lot about the military. About we have we have three sources in the military. They're they're three of our witnesses at our mock Nuremberg trial. Their stories are riveting. What they saw in the military, um, they don't report it. And then also, you do have to understand the military is going to have a higher background rate of of vaccine injury in general, from previous years, because they're much more vaccinated than the civilian population. So just you're going to have a higher rate there to begin with. So therefore, the growth to 2021 won't be as dramatic as in the civilian population. But but that's kind of getting into the weeds. Either way, keep in mind. So right now we're saying, so we have theirs, which is woefully underreporting. The better thing is to get the medical billing. And we're saying that if you would extrapolate from Germany, that would mean 9.6 million clinical level injury from the shot or malady, illness. But even that, folks, is relying on doctors submitting billing for that. You know in the medical industry that the shots are like idolatry to them. So there's going to be many cases where they really were injured and they refused to bill it as uh, medical as vaccine injury because psychologically they've been promoting it on their patients forever. They're not going to want to readily admit that it caused that. So the fact that with all of this stigma and censorship and really threat of them getting punished and still we have this level billing of those ICD codes, that is mind-blowing. Moreover, remember... These billing codes don't cover the most important data point, which is death, okay? Because there is, I, there is no medical billing code really for death, right? It's treatment. By, by definition, you're alive. Now, some of them might have been treated and then eventually died, but it doesn't cover death. And that's something that we don't – you're not going to get out from that. 
So there you go, friends. Now, I want to end off here with this discussion by blowing your mind about how accurate these numbers likely are. I thought of something interesting. I said, look, let's go ahead and take all the data we know we have. And again, this is not the entire world. It's theirs and Udra Vigilance. That's the system of the European Medicines Agency. Okay? Now, again, it, it's not just America and Europe. There are from all over the world that report to them, but clearly it doesn't cover, cover all the world, and clearly it's underreported, but, but we'll get to that in a minute. If you put theirs and Udra together, there are a total of 76,253 reported deaths and over 6 million injured. So just freeze frame that point alone. No one even knows that. That 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 is a huge. Before we get to underreporting, seven. We have we know how hard it is to report, how underreporting, how clunky the system is. It seems to erase things, takes so long. There's a stigma against reporting. Seventy six thousand deaths, six million injuries reported, and this has been going on and on. And they knew this from day one, and they continued pushing it mandating it, making it available, marketing, stigmatizing people, implementing apartheid if you didn't get it. That in itself, you have to freeze frame and think about that for a minute. And by the way, that was as of mid-July. Those numbers are a little bit old because it, it's the deaths are getting worse every day. If you would adjust for an underreporting factor of 41, you would get nearly 1.9 million vaccine deaths across the world and 247 million injuries. 247 million injuries. Now, just to show how interesting these numbers are, I used the two biggest systems we have, Eurovigilance and theirs, put it together and did an underreporting factor of 41 247 million injuries. Then I said to myself, wait a minute. 247 million injuries. How many people supposedly got the shots? According to the New York Times, it is 5.31 billion. So you do the simple arithmetic there. That works out to be a 4.6% injury rate. Almost exactly what the German data shows. So it's interesting if you take the, the pharmacovigilance reporting and use Jessica Rose's underreporting factor of 41, it pegs almost exactly to what the hard data from the German billing, because <clears throat> we have a nice numerator denominator there. Now, we said the likely denominator is actually smaller because not everyone got the shot in their patient load, and it could be more like 5.1%, but you get the point. It's right in that target zone. So I think we have numerous, numerous data points that are really honing in on, on some very, very, very exacting numbers. So folks, that's the point. You can't let this go. You need punishment. You need treatment. You need compensation. And you need immediate flagging of the other vaccines they have coming down the pipeline and to immediately begin with an audit of the type of shots they already have on the market. It's that simple. 
It is that simple. So this guidance alleviation from the CDC, it's a trap. It's a rope-a-dope. Okay? They still say that everyone two years and old, older should be wearing masks. You wait till the winter when they start panicking over the flu and we still don't know where they're headed with monkeypox? And then folks, these are the born. What about the unborn? For some reason in Norway, the birth rate is down 6%. Sweden down 14. Germany down 12. Britain down 9. Netherlands down 11. And Taiwan seems to be an outlier. It's down 27%. Still not sure who, you know, if anyone's gotten to the bottom of that. This is crazy. This is nuts. You know, to just laugh it off is not going to cut it. We need people swinging from the highest trees in the land. And, and I just wanted to end off with one point on this before we move on. I mentioned it briefly last week, but there's data from Scotland that there were 4,848 deaths registered in June 2022 in Scotland. In other words, there was an increased excess death of 9.7% compared to the five-year average. Whereas on the birth side, there were fewer registered births, a decrease of 12%. In other words, 10% increase in death, 12% decrease in birth. Nuremberg-level genocide requires Nuremberg-level punishment, policy changes, and focus. It's that simple. Okay, so um, just before I get to a story that's been in my heart for a long time and came out this week, I do want to note that uh, they will tell you, the bad guys will tell you what they're afraid of. And they're not afraid of us making fun out of AOC or Pelosi or the typical politics. It's when we go after entities like the World Economic Forum and point out the transhumanism, point out Agenda 2030. They are really, it's the people that have dug this up. I never, I'll, I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, I never fully grasped this before COVID, even though it was clearly going on. But now I'm glad to admit that I wasn't focused on that and need to be. There is this opinion piece written in the global in, in the Globe and Mail, how own nothing and be happy sparked a misinformation campaign that targeted the World Economic Forum. They are getting very sensitive to the fact that we are now making the clips of the World Economic Forum very popular and people now see it. They are very scared of that. So they wrote a whole thing on that. You could check it out again at the Globe and Mail. Okay, Roy Moore. This is a very, very big story. Very big story. Background here. In Alabama, there was a Senate race in 2017, a, a primary that was waging on for the Alabama Senate seat. Okay, Jeff Sessions had uh, been tapped as attorney general under Trump. He vacated his Alabama seat. It opened up a seat there. And Trump went and endorsed the establishment candidate, Luther Strange, attorney general there. And there were a few candidates running. One of them was Judge Roy Moore. He was the famous 
chief justice of the Supreme Court of Alabama that refused to take down the replica of the Ten Commandments after a court, uh, the federal district court said he must do that, and he refused. He stood against judicial supremacism. Um, they did it again with gay marriage. He refused to um, to abide by that in the state of Alabama. And he ran for uh, for Senate. And I was one of the earliest national backers, if not the earliest one, of Roy Moore, as you can imagine. That, that, that was after I wrote my first book, Stolen Sovereignty, in part about judicial supremacism and the problem that any federal court could just upend civilization like that. Oh, Ten Commandments unconstitutional, marriage unconstitutional. And no, um, that's not how the court system works. And Judge Moore stood for that, so you could imagine he got my enthusiastic support. And he was going to win. He was going to win the primary. And then suddenly, now, you have to understand, this man was a lightning rod for many years, ran for multiple offices, was in real hot water, and, and the rainbow jihad was obviously, he was the number one enemy of them for years. So you'd imagine if they had any dirt on him, they would have brought it up, right? They would have brought it up. But they, they didn't. He was really a godly man, an upstanding man. You could say he's kind of quirky, kind of funny. Um, you could criticize him, but you know, he certainly was a very upstanding person. Suddenly, one after another, all these women surfaced and said, he harassed them, he did this to them, he raped them, this. And there were like 10 of them in the end, 12 of them. And then they had all these stories that he was rummaging as he was like the district attorney in Gadsden, Alabama, was going around the mall there and just patrolling the mall for 16-year-old girls every day. And it was just bizarre. And obviously it destroyed him. Every single Republican used it. This was a coordinated attack by Democrats and establishment Republicans. And um, every, you know, even the few that supported him pulled their endorsement, said he must get out. He had zero support. He was destroyed. And this is what always happened to one person after another. They got destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. Now, he wasn't the most articulate defender of himself. He wasn't really good at that, and it kind of made him look clumsy. Um, at the time, I called him up, and I, you know, I made him swear to me point blank that it wasn't true, and, and he did. He said I didn't, I did nothing unethical or immoral, and it just never, never happened. And I'm going to point you to a show of mine. Most of you weren't around back then, because you know, thankfully, the show has grown exponentially. Uh, right now, we're probably around episode 1,200. We don't really number them anymore. This was episode 166, November 14, 2017. Look it up. The title is My Thoughts on Roy Moore, Pursuit of Truth, and the Outlook Beyond. And you could tell that I'm very tortured over it. Because on the one hand, like, how, did, how could something like that be true? I knew him. On the other hand, like, how could you invent something? How could you independently get that many women to go on the record and it totally be fabricated? And it, it was just whatever. It, it was like, you know, how could you invent such a plot? Um, obviously, the Kavanaugh thing we saw, but that was just one person. And by the way, Kavanaugh, everyone defended. But him, they hated him. Every single establishment Republican piled on. There are so many lessons to learn from that. And right away, we all noticed the obvious observation, which was, if what they were saying was true, this guy belonged in jail for the rest of his life. It's not just, oh, so you don't run for Senate. You, you lose the race. You pull out. 
that's a criminal case. That's multiple, very serious criminal cases. But somehow, after they did what they wanted to do, which was to get him defeated, um, right? He he won the primary. So so this is how it was so bad that even in Alabama, the Democrats were able to. It was close, but they were able to flip the seat. Democrats won the race there in Alabama. And that's how Doug Jones got in. Eventually, he was kicked out because, you know, Democrat can't hold a seat in Alabama. But Democrats actually won the seat because he was so damaged. And then, somehow, shortly after that, we never heard from these women anymore. Like, okay, where are the criminal charges? No one wants to press charges. It was almost like, gee, it was just done to get him out of the Senate seat. But don't you want justice? And of course, we never heard anything more again. And that's when I started to realize, oh my gosh, we are living in such a demonic world that yes, they could literally invent such a conspiracy and it it, it could look so effective and true. Just like the whole world will tell you, this is this vaccine is going to help you. A mask is going to help you. Every scientist, every doctor, are you going to go against them? It's got to be true. They can't all be lying, right? But no, we are living in an era where you could have unanimity of opinion and they can manufacture something so believable, but it is so wrong and so devastating. And that's really what COVID fascism taught us. But this man was a victim of it. Why am I talking about this now? Well, this is from... AL.com, Alabama's biggest news uh, website. Roy Moore awarded $8.2 million. Jury rules Democratic Super PAC defamed him in the Senate race. Jurors found that Senate Majority PAC made false and defamatory statements against Moore, an ad that attempted to capitalize on sexual misconduct ac- accusation made against Moore during the 2017 race. The ruling was a victory for Moore, who has lost other defamation lawsuits. We're thankful to God for an opportunity to help restore my reputation, which was severely damaged by the 2017 election. Moore said in a telephone interview. Um, and they talk about, you know, how basically he was accused of touching women in 1979, a girl when she was just 14, and he was a 30, 32-year-old assistant DA. Moore denied the accusations. Other women said Moore dated them or asked them out on dates when they were older teens. Um, and basically the lawsuit centered on one television commercial that recounted accusations against Moore in various news articles. Moore's attorneys argued the ad through the juxtaposition of statements falsely claimed he solicited sex from young girls at a shopping mall, including another 14-year-old. And, I mean, they basically made the guy like a psychopath. And, yeah, that's the story completely, completely destroyed as a human being. And that, there are so many lessons in that. Steve Dace and I stood alone in that case. Everyone else, I mean, you could imagine to begin with, they hated the guy because he stood for the things on the very issues that the gay Republican establishment hated. And they all piled on. It demonstrates the depravity of the GOP establishment, how they will defend their own, but they will join in with false accusations against people like us because, frankly, they hate us more than they hate the Democrats. 
But more broadly, what it represents is that you could have something that looks so true, that is so hard to concoct. And I, st- I still don't have the answer. Mechanically, exactly, how do you suddenly get 12 different women? I don't know how you do that, but clearly they did that, and they succeed at that. The same way I don't know how you get everyone to create a virus and everyone to go along with what they went along with for two and a half years that was so illogical, inhumane, immoral, and illegal, yet they did it. So maybe we ought to stop saying, I can't believe it. It must be true just because it's too hard to fabricate rather than that look prima facie at the evidence in front of you and what does that tell you? That's one story I wanted to go over today. Another story that I wanted to revisit was I wrote an article that that is um, in all my career of writing columns for 15 years, it got the most traffic of anything at the time, now my COVID articles wound up getting more, but I think at the time, in June 25th, 2019, it was it had the most hits of any article I knew of. Truck driver accused of killing seven bikers was immigrant who should have been deported. Basically, this guy, Vladimir Zukovsky, a Ukrainian refugee, um, he had a history of drunk driving and drugs, and he was not deported. He wasn't illegal, but he was an LPR refugee that he should have been deported based on that criminal history. But we, you know, that's the whole point in this country. We go with needless criminals. See, an American who just has some drugs and this and that, yeah, obviously he's not going to get locked up forever. And now he doesn't get locked up at all. But if you're an immigrant, so you should be gone because, you know, why, why should we keep other countries' nationals who are criminals? But basically, he was drunk driving, and he swerved across the line in Randolph, New Hampshire. He was from Massachusetts. This was in Randolph, New Hampshire, and he killed seven motorcyclists, many of them veterans, Marines. Terrible, terrible story. He had two prior DUI arrests, all sorts of things. Um, Was charged for unlicensed operation of a motor vehicle at some point. He was caught with possession of cocaine and heroin. Larceny. He was admitted to stealing ladders and windows from a Home Depot department store, warehouse. I mean, so he, uh, and and then uh, Massachusetts police found him at the time of this accident in 2019 um, that he had heroin pockets in his home. Terrible, terrible story. And again, immigration, as you well know, when you get a green card, you're not here permanently. It's a probationary period for them to demonstrate under INA 316E good moral character. And if not, you should be deported. And he wasn't. And that was the time I was just reporting on all these cases of how much crime was committed by habitual non-American citizen criminals that should have been removed. Well, this is a story from Law Enforcement Today. Foreign national who ran over and killed seven motorcyclists, five Marine Corps veterans, walks free. He was high, he was driving, he was a repeat offender, and now he is free. It was just over three years ago that we brought you the story of the Jarhead Motorcycle Club and the tragedy that struck their group, their families, and several of their members. And they go through the story I just said to you. Um, Basically... The defendant confessed, experts recreated the scene, witnesses testified, all their stories added up, but the jury 
gave a not guilty verdict. The judge dismissed all eight of the charges against Zukovsky pertaining to his impairment. Turns out police at the scene never questioned the defendant's sobriety, and prosecutors were unable to provide enough evidence of intoxication at the time of the accident. However, the defense was able to document that several members of the motorcycle club were illegally intoxicated. Second, contrary to conclusions drawn by the experts at the NTSB, the defense offered up its own expert to refute those findings and how that accident played out. There is no consideration of intoxication and the fact that you have a defense witness talking about what caused the collision that absolutely would add up to a reasonable doubt, said Patricia LaFrance, a former county prosecutor. Um, And I'm bringing this up just to note that the dichotomy of criminal law when it comes to people like you and me versus bad guys is unreal. With the bad guys, it's impossible to nail a conviction. There are 50 ways from Sunday they could show reasonable doubt and they can get the worst people off. And they and that's how you have so many habitual cr- criminals. They're able to plead down, get a lesser sentence, sometimes get off completely. It's all because of that. Yet somehow with January 6th, it's like, boom. Like, nothing matters with those folks. Nothing matters. They got hit with everything under the sun somehow sticks against them. That's the profundity of this principle of anarcho-tyranny. That at the same time, we have the greatest degree of anarchy with broad crime. Okay, I mean, you have going on today, as we're speaking, we have, you know, you know we don't talk about the border anymore, the border is actually worse than it's ever been. It hasn't gotten better. Despite the fact that July, August are like the hottest months where usually it's so just crazy down there. The weather is so hot that the numbers drop off seasonally. But it turns out that it's actually worse than it's ever been at, at, at the border. Bill Malugin reports... Um, at as as of as of now, just the last two hours, we've already seen approximately three hundred uh, migrants um, pass into Eagle Pass. Again, just three hundred, just one sector, a few hours, um, and that's it. Just in the twenty-four hours, there have been two thousand two hundred illegal crossings just in the Del Rio sector. One hour of one day, one sector. Okay, that is taking place at the same time that the FBI is criminalizing our views. The same day that they they are going after political dissidents. Okay, and then and and again, I mean, anyone who understands criminal law. Like, see, oh my gosh, these zealous prosecutors—they could subpoena anything, they could issue warrants for anything. But then somehow, when it comes to real violent criminals, foreign national criminals, they look impotent and helpless. And somehow the, the wheels of the system churn in a way that it's like the defendant who is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, not the prosecutor. They get off with everything. They could sow any doubt. And yet you could pluck Simone Gold. Simone Gold. 
one of the earliest leaders in getting early treatment for people, started the frontline doctors. She's still, I mean, I don't know if she's like on day 20, 25 of her 60-day sentence. She literally did nothing. She was strolling around in the Capitol when the doors were left open, and so much so that Capitol Police were fired for doing that. But you can't entrap someone. You can't, if law enforcement let you in, you can't hit someone up for that crime. By the way, if Trump were really serious in running for office, one of the things he should do is promise right off the bat that he's going to pardon her and give her uh, um, the highest presidential medal in the Oval Office if he were reelected for her work on getting people early treatment. So definitely pray for Simone. She is a political prisoner. But the 60 days she is serving is 60 days more than this Vladimir, whatever his name is, this animal that should have been deported and those seven people should have never been killed. And that is the core job of the federal government. Law enforcement should always be local, but this is why we have ICE. It's because, and this was since the founding of our country, that when you're here as an LPR, it's a probationary status. Because again, you could choose your immigrants, you can't choose your citizens, right? If you're born here, you have the you know natural right to be here. If you're a criminal, we could convict you and lock you up. We can't remove you from the country because you know this is your country. But if you're a foreign national and you're committing drug crimes and drunk driving crimes, you should be out, out, out. Drunk driving is devastating, by the way. It's a devastating crime that I've always said we're not tough enough on it. Um, so many people killed. But certainly if you have a foreign national and we know we know certainly the Central American and the Mexican illegal aliens have a culture of drunk driving that's just devastating. So, I mean, again, this is a story that's near and dear to me. I was one of the ones to break the news that he was actually a Ukrainian refugee at the time with a criminal record that, based on our laws, was deportable and should have been deported, and those seven people should be alive today. But now we learn he doesn't even get justice. So, again, that's emblematic of the anarcho-tyranny. Now, we're running out of time here, but just one story I wanted to share with you that, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't share it with you. It's crazy. So, at a time... When we have IRS agents being trained to kill people and being trained as soldiers, what are our soldiers being trained as? You got it, art collectors. I'm not kidding you. MSN.com article, this is from Thursday. Imagine the Smithsonian is under attack. This army is ready. The Smithsonian Museum in the fictional country, this is like a game theory, of Pinelandia was about to be attacked by enemy forces. Pinelandia's president asked a cultural heritage specialist at the Joint Military Task Force to assist the museum staff in evacuating the museum's priceless collection. Wearing non-yellow vests over their army combat uniforms, 21 specialists were actually army reservists packed up the artifacts for transport to a safe location three kilometers away. As the missionary progressed, the soldier accidentally stepped through a painting ripping it from its frame, and the reservists were forced to use pieces of the museum's textile collection when they ran out of protective wrap. For five hours on Wednesday in a large conference room at the National Museum of the U.S. Army in Fort Belvoir, Virginia, the reservists, who in their civilian lives are anarchists, are, are, are archivists, I'm sorry, art historians and archaeologists and professors, completed a tense role-playing exercise to train for the evacuation of priceless artifacts. The drill was the centerpiece of the 10-day Army Monuments Officer training program. 
And they note in this article, if you go down there, that they actually want to recruit more people to the military who are experts in art. You can't make this up. Again, the anarcho-tyranny at a time when IRS agents are now trained as soldiers to go after political dissidents, American citizens that didn't commit a crime, we now have the soldiers who are supposed to go after foreign enemies be recruited as artists and archaeologists. Welcome to the Fourth Reich. That's what the anarcho-tyranny is. And again, they will tell you what they care about, as I mentioned. It's not, oh, the economy's lousy, the typical like soap opera that, that my colleagues are so worried about. It's the elimination of cash. The depopulation agenda, the rationing of energy, the rationing of natural resources, abolishing of private property, right? You'll own nothing, you'll be happy. Social and carbon credit systems, drones, facial recognition, mandatory vaccines, rationing of food and energy, eating bugs, abolishing gender, banning alternative medicines and treatments. That, my friends, is the fourth industrial revolution. Big tech, artificial intelligence, digital currencies, but it's really the fourth Reich. That is the, what matters. We have to harness the time we're living in. We have this small window where people are awake, where we have a little bit of a reprieve, and where we actually could fight it and not instead walk away from things. That's why I'm bringing up past big issues, big stories. We walked away from, we didn't press the policy outcomes and solutions that they engendered. We got to do that now. Nuremberg trial, Nuremberg code, Nuremberg policies, It's all in the book. Please go to Amazon. Get The Rise of the Fourth Reich. Confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial so that never happens again. Go to trialsandexecution.com to download the book, um, to download the first chapter right now um, as we await for uh, the supply chains to allow us to move up our release date. I'm trying as quickly as I can. Again, at C19 Truth Bombs, C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. Email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Folks, we are just getting started this week. We'll have some special guests as well coming up. Thank you for making this the fastest growing show in the news genre at iTunes. Please keep giving us a five star rating. You guys are the best. I am so thankful for you. And together, we will fight the Fourth Reich. 